0: Our passage for the Old Testament is from Ezekiel chapter 28. I will only be reading through verse 10. Ezekiel 28, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. You are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you make your heart like the heart of a god, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas." Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Now turn with me to our New Testament text from Matthew chapter 11. I'll begin reading with verse 13 for a little context. Our passage is beginning with verse 16 for the sermon text. Matthew 11:13 and following. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if by the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Sends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades. but The word of God abides forever. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, our God, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Because you are our rock and our redeemer, we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the great rock. Amen. Well, we have reached a transition place in the Gospel of Matthew. We have, up until this point in Matthew, beginning with chapter one, we've had a lot of good news. We've had a lot of good things happening one after another. The compassion of our Savior has been demonstrated over and over again. His kindness, His power to save people, to heal them, to raise people from the dead, to loosen the tongues of those who are mute, open the eyes of the blind, He's done things one after another which show how compassionate he is. And his mission is one of extending the mercy of God to people. He has demonstrated that time and again. But now we're reaching a crossroads in Matthew. Things will start changing at this from this point on. And interestingly, it's kind of a slow rumble at this point. And now it will become a slow rumble and start building in sound and crescendo until the end when it culminates in the resurrection of our Lord, which is the great thunderclap of God's mercy. But, But the resurrection of the Lord is preceded by the cross. And Jesus has already mentioned the cross. If you were to follow him, it means taking up your cross and following him. Uh, so he has mentioned it already, but now it's going to start becoming a reality for the people. And this is why he speaks the way he, do, he does here. This is a passage really that can be characterized by a word from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus says, to whom much is given, much will be required. The people of his day receive much from the Lord and much is required for them to repent and to follow Him and to confess Him. That's what we have in our passage, verses 16 through 24. And it's, it's given to us in very stark and powerful words that show who Jesus is and what He demands of people. He demands all of our allegiance. He demands a wholehearted commitment to Him to follow Him and follow Him exclusively. This is what we are called upon to do here. And people who did not do this received his stern rebuke at this place. Interestingly, he does not bury Capernaum in sulfur and ashes at this point. He gives them warning that they still have time to repent. Well, when we look at these towns who are called upon here, they're not very big towns. Yet, they are the towns that receive the mercies of the Lord. Uh, we, we we're told earlier in Luke, Matthew, pardon, chapter one, chapter 11 verse one, when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Well, this is, the cities are these ones who are named. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And the first one, Chorazin, this is the only mention of this town by name. It's not a very big town, uh, but it is a prominent town in the area. It's only a couple of miles north of Capernaum, which is on the northern edge of the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, and we're not told much else about it, except it would have been one of the towns that our Lord had visited. It's only a few miles away from Capernaum where he had done a lot and actually had a residence. And then Bethsaida is about four miles roughly east of Capernaum and it's a uh, town on the uh, Sea of Galilee itself. The word itself, Bethsaida, the name uh, means uh, home of fishermen. It's a uh, fishing town and in, uh, we know that this town had been the hometown of several of the disciples including Peter and Andrew and Philip and probably uh, James and John. So this is a a town uh, where people had connections and they also had received uh, great signs of the Lord in their midst. Uh, So in Bethsaida and Mark 8, we're told that Jesus healed a blind man there in particular. Otherwise, it's in these summaries like in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Jesus had done many things in these other towns, it would have included these places. But the main town and the biggest town, probably about a thousand people, it's not really big by our standards, but big in their standards uh, is Capernaum. Remember that when you're dealing with a town, you're dealing with people who generally are not raising food. So they have to have agricultural areas that they control in order to bring food into the town to feed the population. So this is essential for an ancient town in particular. you don't have long-term trucking and transport. But this is a very important town in some ways because it was where fishermen would send their uh, loads of fish to be transported to other areas through the Sea of Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. So it's a town that's not only a fishing town, but also a transportation hub for the fishing industry. And if you want to look at uh, Capernaum now, you'd have to get your archaeological hat on because it is no longer there. It is a a dig. It's now uh, a ruin and many of the things that they've excavated actually from a later time, but it is not there as a town. Now, Capernaum, uh, figured prominently in, in, uh, in the story of Matthew so far. In chapter 4, uh, we're told that Jesus had settled there. In chapter 8, at the beginning of this big section that we're, uh, a part of really, beginning with chapter 8, 9, 10, and into 11, uh, in chapter eight, the beginning, you have the centurion contacting Jesus to heal his servant, which he does from a distance. Uh, then Jesus goes into Capernaum uh, itself and heals the mother-in-law of Peter uh, and many others. Uh, in chapter nine, Jesus goes into the synagogue there and he, he or into a home uh, and he heals a paralytic by forgiving his sins. So now you can see things are ramping up. If Jesus revealing who he really is to people by uh, forgiving sins and telling people what's easier to forgive sins or to tell this man to get up and walk. And he forgave his sins. And then the key here is also in chapter 8 when it says that when Jesus was in Capernaum, he healed many who were pressed by demons. And I want to remind you that demon possession is not an accidental occurrence. It occurs through a willful wanton uh, devotion to the black arts. This is how it works. Uh, you aren't just jumped by a de- demon and it takes over you without you being a willing uh, servant of this demon. And uh, this is what's happening among the people of God. These are the These are the people whom God has set aside as His own particular people. These are Israelites. These are not foreigners and Gentiles and pagans, but they're the people of God engaging in pagan black art, uh, magical practices. That's what's, that's what this is demonstrating to us. This is part of Jesus' condemnation for them. Their, their addiction to this kind of uh, practice, which is in essence paganism, very similar to the condemnation we read in Ezekiel uh, as the first text we read. And then interesting about Capernaum in verse 23 and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? This is interesting because it's actually a reference to Babylon from the from the prophet Isaiah. Will you be exalted from heaven? Here now, the, the uh, oracle of Isaiah aimed at the king of Babylon. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? And yet Capernaum says, like the king of Babylon, we will be exalted to heaven. They are hoping through their own might and resources to ascend far beyond the reach of death. And yet they fail. Jesus says will you be exalted to heaven you will be brought down to Hades this is really a repetition of what Isaiah just said in this is in uh, verse 23 of our passage Matthew 11:23 so brothers and sisters the lord jesus is telling them in no uncertain terms today is the day of repentance Today is the day to turn to him. You see, the Lord Jesus has recounted to uh, John. Remember earlier in our chapter, John was in prison. He sent to Jesus. Are you the one to come? Shall we look to another? What does Jesus say to him? He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. and The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. He's speaking to John there. Yet these things happened in those towns that Jesus is addressing his voice to now in our passage. He's saying you people saw this. He's no longer talking to John. He's talking to his contemporaries. The people who've seen these very powerful works of our Savior in their midst. And he's saying, you saw these things as well. And yet, you did not repent. What was John's whole ministry? He taught a baptism of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Jesus starts his ministry the same way. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That message is still true today. The kingdom of heaven is on the verge of breaking into our world. Who knows whether it will be today or tomorrow or a thousand years from now. It doesn't make any difference. It is still going to happen. And so there is no reason to wait If you need to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the day of salvation. And Jesus says to his contemporary, he says a parable to them in the opening in verse 16. What shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now, parables are like riddles. They take a little thought to untangle. And sometimes you can go one way or the other. Here, the best way to interpret this riddle is that this is really referring to the ministries of Jesus and of John. So, the flute player is the Lord Jesus Christ. He he calls on people to dance. It's very interesting here. It's a kind of a typical arrangement, you have playing the flute and dancing, dirge and mourning. Then you have reference to John whose message was a dirge and mourning, or baptism repentance. He came uh neither eating or drinking, but instead fasting. And then Jesus is the last one, parallel with the first one, he's eating and drinking. He's showing compassion and joy and filling our lives with hope. And here's their response. It's like Jesus saying to them, I will play the flute. Now you dance. And what do they, what do they say instead? Oh, he's a friend of tax cutters and sinners. He's a drunkard and a glutton. We don't want to follow this guy. We can't dance for him. He's unclean. We don't want to have anything to do with him. Despite all the mercy and kindness that he showed them and healing everybody they brought to him. Casting out demons and showing them the kindness of God. And then John comes and he's neither eating or drinking. He's fasting and he's dressed in a very rough uh, clothing and he comes with a very stern message and he says, I'll sing a dirge and you you now mourn. And They don't mourn. Instead, they just say he's got a demon. He's a crazy man. He's a wild-eyed crazy. We're not following him. We're not going to do what he tells us. They want it their own way. They, you, you can't please them. It's like children in the marketplace. No one's pleased. No one is going to obey. No one will take any thought to the message. And heed it. That's what we're dealing with here. You know, it's not a matter of lack of evidence. If you, if you, if you examine the scripture, there's plenty of evidence to its truthfulness. There's testimony galore. You can establish through historical research everything in scripture. You can, you can work through these things And query them like you would any historical fact. And it's far more established than anything else in the ancient world. You know, some of the books I read. I'm going to make true confessions here. First century books. Earlier books. You know, the testimony to them and the manuscripts we have are a thousand years after the author died. Not so the New Testament. We have we have. Some 6,000 handwritten copies of the New Testament in, in Greek. Not even talking about the translations from the ancient world. There are a lot of translations. Georgic, Ethiopic, uh, Syriac. All sorts of translations that we can also read of the New Testament going way back. Uh, it's the most uh, witness document from the ancient world. There's nothing like it. Nothing even close to it. You you say to yourself, yeah, but I I really think Plato's got a lot to say to me. One of the dialogues of Plato might have one manuscript from a thousand years after he died, as the only testimony we have to it. This is fairly common, or two. Uh, this is just nothing like the New Testament with the thousands of pieces of evidence for it. It is the most testified-to document in the history of the world, frankly. Brothers and sisters, the words of the Lord are sure and certain. And I want you to remember, Jesus is talking to his people. He's not talking to outsiders and foreigners. He's talking to his lost sheep. In chapter 9, he sees the people and how disoriented they are. And he says, get compassion on them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so he sends out his twelve. And he tells them, don't go among the nations. Go to the lost sheep. Of the people of Israel. And they had been doing things in the midst of these towns. And they came back. And here's the response. They don't listen. They don't respond. They don't repent. You know, this is, this is really, in essence, the heart of the Gospel of John. If you want to know what John is about, you just read the first 18 verses. If you, if you read the Gospel of John and you say, Well, you know, what it's a big book. What, what's it really about? Read the first 18 verses and right in the center of it, you get this. Let me read this for you. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is Jesus up to? He is here as the wisdom of God, and he will be justified by his accomplishments. Because wisdom is justified by her deeds. Verse 19. And what is the outcome? Well, we're going to see that as Jesus explains it. Later in chapter 12, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You don't have to look farther than the rest of our chapter to see what Jesus is up to. And it ends with a call to all to come to him who are weary and heavy laden. The Lord is not without compassion. He he longs for his people to repent and to come to him. Uh, so, when you 're looking at this passage, it is one that is that comes to us very sternly and one with true and awesome warning and sometimes you know you 're looking at something like that and you think, yeah, but you know i'm i 'm doing my best to follow the Lord. What more does he want of me i I think sometimes we feel like uh younger children you know, and the older brother and sister is getting uh, discipline, and you're kind of standing there going, feeling slightly guilty, even though you didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, sometimes you're kind of feeling that way now when you're reading this passage. Well, I, I didn't do that. You know, I, I'm following Christ as best I can. So here's what He is calling on you to do. You pray for our neighbors. You pray for the, for. Neighbors who are in the midst of a generation that is constantly turning away from the Lord, who know something about God, and you witness to them of the true God through Jesus Christ. You testify to them, and then you pray for them. This is what you can do to contribute. You can, you can be John you can call on, on people to repent for the day of salvation is at hand because the kingdom of God has been established in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is what uh, we are called to do. And it could be the day for you to repent. It could be the day for you to hear this uh, from the Savior, this word that comes to you. Because, brothers and sisters, He's the one... Who is appointed the judge of the whole earth. On the last day, everyone will appear before this man who said these things to his contemporaries. You know, he's often portrayed as this weak, timid, spacey kind of guy. <laughs> you just read this passage. That's not our Lord Jesus Christ. But I can, I can guarantee you he is strong to say. He, he longs for his people to repent. And he's calling on them to repent. For the day is at hand. And now we think about Christmas time coming up. The whole month is my Christmas. I love it. It's, it's a wonderful time to reflect upon the Savior. This is, this is the time when we get to remember that our Savior came into the world and he was named. He will save his people from their sins. Joshua. I saw a stable low and very bare. And a little child in a manger. The oxen knew him and had him in their care. To many was a stranger. The safety of the world was lying there. And also the world's danger. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we have heard an awesome word from you today in your word. One that we wouldn't gravitate to naturally, but here it is before us. We call upon you to have mercy upon us and upon our neighbors, O Lord. We long to see our neighbors come into the joy of the Lord. To know the peace, and the hope and the life that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. We don't look on them with scorn, O Lord. Oh, no. We, without Your grace, would be among them. By Your grace, O Lord, we call upon You to be gracious, compassionate, slow to anger upon people in our area that we might also see Your uh, gospel extend and Your name gospel will extend and your name be exalted here in the Willamette Valley in particular. We pray through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.